2: Good morning. I'm Myron
0: Belkind, the president of the National Press Club. And normally I am not at Newsmakers, but today I thought it was important to be so because we have a very special guest of honor, Akon. This has been a very historic week for Washington, D.C., with the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, more than 50 heads of state. And it's also been a very historic week for the National Press Club, as we've had the presidents of the Republic of Congo, South Africa. This afternoon, we'll have the president of Burkina Faso. But today, as part of our historic week and as part of a major event that contributed to Washington, D.C.'s historic week, we have Acon, the distinguished celebrity and more so philanthropist, doing so much to bring electrification to more than 20 million households in Africa. I want to thank and introduce my colleague, Stephen Alakara, who is an, a great example of what a new member of the National Press Club does. Stephen joined about two months ago. He organized a major event with the former chief technology officer of, of, of at the White House, Anish Chopra. And a few weeks ago, he said, Myron, what do you think if we bring in Akon? And I said, go for it. So, Akon, thank you for being here. Stephen, thank you for organizing
1: it. I turn over the floor to you and to Akon. Good morning by just a little bit here. Thank you for uh, joining us for this Newsmaker event. I'm Stephen Olakara, the host of uh, this Newsmaker. And I do want to start by thanking Myron Belkind, the president of the National Press Club, who has uh, not only supported this event, but also many of the wild ideas I've come to him with. So thank you for your support, as well as Rachel, your wife, who I know is here. Uh, we're honored to, to have you. Uh, I also want to thank uh, another rising star at the National Press Club, uh, represented by his wife here, uh, Josue Lopez, who is also very integral in making this event happen. I'm here to uh, introduce uh, an incredible leader, uh, legendary leader, uh, a global entrepreneur, a major recording artist, uh, and also the founder of Akon Lighting Africa, Mr. Akon here. This morning, uh, him along with his uh, colleagues, Mr. Uh, Batili and Mr. Niang, hosted the first annual uh, New Partnerships for Growth conference, uh, which featured uh, four African heads of state and other dignitaries talking about their new partnership with the next generation. And we'll be hearing more about that in a little bit. Uh, But uh, Akon and his colleagues here have uh, put together an an incredible initiative called Akon Lighting Africa, which is focused on bringing uh, electrification to a million households uh, in Africa uh, utilizing um, off-the-grid solar technology. So, we'll start with uh, uh, Akon giving some opening remarks on what he's doing, uh, the results of the conference this morning, uh, and then we'll open the floor to question and answer. And uh, those questions will come from credentialed uh, press and members of the press club only. And when recognized, please identify yourself, uh, your organization, and please ask a brief question. So, with that, I turn the floor over to Mr. Akon. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve.
3: Uh, it's an honor to be here, of course. Uh, thank you guys a lot for making the time to come out. Um, this has been probably the most productive week uh, we've had since we started Akon Lighting Africa. Um, we started off um, touring seven countries in seven days to present our initiative to seven heads of states in West Africa. And it was a thought that happened last year from today. Um, And within that time, we've accomplished so much. And we always wanted to be in a position where our generation of Africa would be completely different from the average. Because ultimately, we felt that it wasn't enough action And we felt there wasn't enough communication. And as you know, as you follow how things move, it's the people that run countries. You know, uh, our um, uh, elected uh, officials are there to serve us. And we have to be in a position where we can properly communicate whatever our issues are and properly communicate whatever it is that we're dealing with that they can help us overcome. So it's a team effort. It's impossible for them to make all the decisions without having the communication and have it open enough to where we can clearly understand whatever our faults are, whatever our challenges are, and how do we overcome this together? So the Econ Light in Africa was built on those principles, and we wanted to be in a position where I can be able to take my resources as a diaspora, uh, child of the diaspora rather, um, and being in a position where my my parents <coughs> were African and understood the cultures, taught me the cultures. My earlier part of my years, I was actually raised there, but I was actually born in the U.S. Because they didn't want us to have any issues as far as immigrations coming back and forth; those were challenges they they themselves had faced. But it ultimately created a situation where I was able to be able to view both sides and experience both cultures and understand the differences between America and Africa, and what's happened today, and for the last the whole week actually has been something that's just been amazing because it allowed us to be able to open up those avenues of communication and better understand each other and the challenges that we're facing and the cultures that we're actually experiencing. So within all of that, of course, one thing that always popped up was the one issue that Africa has been facing for years, which is the energy crisis. And it's been one of those challenges because the infrastructure hasn't already been set up. So Acon Lighting Africa was set up to create an avenue to start the beginning building process for infrastructure. But the problem was in the rural areas, which is the heartbeat of Africa, there was no lights, there was no energy. But one thing that we all can say is that Africa has the one benefit is that the sun is always there. We'll never run out of sun in Africa, which is free energy. So how do we utilize that and maximize that opportunity? So we created a solar project uh, which would electrify those rural areas and allow us to be able to bring energy to those areas, which will and then create jobs for those locals and also create different avenues and opportunities for them to be able to work themselves back this city and be more productive <coughs> citizens to help build Africa moving forward. So that's been major for us as far as how do we move forward. But we also realized that we would have to depend and also utilize the diaspora. because we've are, we we're clearly out here getting an education that is lacking in certain parts of Africa. And as much as Africa cherish education, we just don't have the facilities. And don't have, you know, the, the the resources, you know. I mean, you have children out there that's walking miles and miles and miles for school and would do anything just for that education. You almost we like here in the States we take that for granted. Like we're skipping school, <laughs> we're trying to find reasons not to go, we're calling in sick, whatever the case may be. But you have children out there that understand what that value is and just don't have access to it. So it's almost to a point where we all have to play an equal role because as humans, in the humanitarian as, you know, uh, as, as state of you know, communication, we have to be there to fulfill needs of others that don't have it. And if we can be in a position where we can actually allocate whatever there it is they're missing, then we wouldn't want to be in that position to do it because it overall helps the human race as a whole. And I think when we communicate and uh, unite in a, in a sense of that matter, we actually can build a better future for our children. Because I always think of my kids when I travel. Like, how will this be 10, 15 years from now when he or she is older and has to roll through these parts of the world? Will they be safe? Will they be able to be in a position where they can actually provide for their children as well? So as we're thinking, we always have to think future. And of course, as you know, the future is our children. So that's always been my main focus. And not only that, but the children are the future leaders. you know. So ultimately, Akon Lighting Africa has wanted to put a stand, uh, a footprint in the development of Africa and didn't want to be left out as we're moving forward. So we're trying to create uh, a very simple, very cost-effective way of creating light and energy in areas of the rural areas of Africa that's just pretty much as absent at the moment. And then at the same time, we want to be able to create jobs and open up the doors for Africans to be able to provide for themselves and put them in positions where they also can create resources for themselves to be able to build their own country and be an asset now to building... The rest of the world in a more physical way rather than just a way of pulling from the resources and taking out and nothing's coming back into the continent so thank you
1: yeah. so we'll now open it up to questions cool uh and again uh please state your name and organizational affiliation hi thank you All so
4: right. much i'm uh, leela mcdowell with the rise tv and sister to sister magazine and thank you so much for what you're doing I thank you. you um so my uh, two quick questions because mm-hmm. i know i got to keep Um, The first question I would have is what, tell us the story of what in your life inspired you to do this? Because you could be living large and balling as a celebrity and not even think about that. And not only did you come up with this initiative, it's a very unique (coughs) initiative to be able to be environmentally sustainable, as well as really build the resources of Africa. So what in your life brought that to you and and created that passion in you? And the second question, when you were talking about the sun, I heard poetry, so are we going to
3: have a song? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I do have uh, new material recorded and will be released in November, so look out for that. I know everyone wants to know, but it's definitely coming. And a lot, a lot of it has been, I've grown a lot since the last time I put out a record as well, too. So, And this, this album is a lot more global. Um, it kind of signifies the, the journey that I'm going through now. So I think the records that I'm putting out is going to influence people in so many different ways, but it's, it'll still keep you on the dance floor for sure. So you don't have to worry about that part of it. And to answer your first question, um, I was raised in Senegal, um, a part of Senegal called Kola, which is a rural area of Dakar. And you know, I was one of those barefooted kids you see playing soccer, you know, toting well water. Um, it was probably the most happiest part of my life, which is the most ironic part of it, because sometimes you say, "Well, if they're happy and they're living good, why? What's the purpose? Like, leave, if they're happy, let them be happy." But then I got a chance to fly to the U.S. And I was happy because I didn't know that there was better. And naturally, that's what it is. You're happy with what you got until you see a better one, then you want that. But this was different because it was better in the sense of me as a person, there was ways where I can actually live without having to drink water that would potentially get me sick or walk with some shoes that would normally... You know, potentially be in a position where I can step on something that will infect me where I won't even have the proper medicine to get cured. So more as it was a lot of other variables now playing in a role. And I'm sitting here in a place like this, coming from an area like that, and I'm wondering to myself why isn't where I just came from looking like this? And as a child, you don't understand that. You just know that, wow, this is amazing. You see the bright lights and you see these huge high-rise buildings. But it was always a mission of mine to answer that question but as I got older I kind of better understood how it all works in the economy and the governments and political and you know different interests and things of that nature and it started to all make sense but I always wanted to be in a position for if I didn't do anything else I would at least go back to help to develop the continent to where kids can experience a better experience because an experience is a great experience but there's a difference between uh, experience and a great experience. And you always want the best for your kids. So when you look at those children in Africa, you look at them like they could be your kids. I mean, we go back and adopt all the time because you want to, you, you don't want to just adopt because for the sake of an adopting. You want that person that you've connected with to experience something better. And that's the mentality of it. Like, we want to be in a position where that big brother, that big sister can go back and say, look, here's a better life for you. This is what's available to you utilize this in a way to where it benefits you. And if you if we all think that way, then it's easy to grow it up. But that was the main initiative for why I'm doing what I'm doing now, to give them a better life that they haven't experienced yet. Yeah.
2: Go over uh, here. Uh, hi, Peter Summer with uh, Capital Intelligence. Hey, Pete. Hi, hi. Uh, I want to ask you, one of the things is, you uh, Africa Leaders Summit, one of the main points that's been repeated and repeated, and it's been the most beneficial thing I've ever seen from Africa, even more than World Bank I met, is the message is clear, we want
3: Well, I mean, well, it's um, it's clearly addressing it because we know that's an issue and a problem that already exists, right? So our role is to find out the solution. How do we get around that? How do we fix it? And there's no better way to get around that than empowering the youth because you have to educate them first. But even to educate them or to empower them, they have to have the f- proper facilities, have to have the proper surround they have to be in a proper surrounding to even get good health care or get great education. And and right now in Africa, nothing can happen without infrastructure. So the infrastructure is our biggest bridge. Like we can't get crossed that until that part of it gets right. And without energy, we can't even begin to build an infrastructure. So I want to start from the ground zero, you know? Um, and I think with the basic solar, utilizing our main resource, which is that sun, that would walk us to the light, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely.
1: Go here. Oh. oh.
2: Hi. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. i uh, wondering, what has surprised you most throughout these uh, past few days in Washington? And also, what is your take on celebrities who get involved in politics, particularly celebrities who donate to political campaigns? Mm-hmm. Is there a concern there about
3: alienating some of your fan base? Um, well, I think celebrity getting involved in politics is probably a fine line between Entertainment and politics, but I think the politic aspect is more personal. That's something that a artist or celebrity themselves just believe in. And most celebrities, they always go after what they believe in, whether it's political, whether it's non-political, whatever the case may be. It's just in a you know a, a sense of you can say passion that they just want to fulfill. I don't think there's no particular reason why they do it. it outside of the fact that this is something that they just believe in particularly. Me, I don't really look at this political because this is actually a for-profit business. But I don't want to get into business unless I know I'm helping someone. Because it's not like I need the money. I can just continue to write songs for the rest of my life. But if I could utilize my likeness, my name, and my influence to be able to really do something that makes something or someone impacted in a way to where they would normally not be, if me not be a part, then it's great, because I want to be in a position where I can utilize the gift that God put me in to be able to help someone else. So even if we make a gazillion dollars out of that, that money's going to go back towards creating a a bigger um, uh, number to put back in it. Because ultimately, I mean, at this point now in my career, there's no one I haven't worked with. I've worked with everyone from the highest to the Michael Jacksons to the lowest to maybe to the, Young Jeezy's. I mean, they. It's, at this point, it's about building my legacy. You know, what did I contribute? When that day come where I'm being lowered down, I want my name to be able to continue to ring and say that while he was here, he made an impact. And that's why I'm here. Well, that's actually a great question, and that's actually a question that's been asked by a lot of Africans that's actually here now. Uh, But the way I see it, whatever it takes to make it happen, shall it work? Because it's not like we didn't have ample opportunity to do it. It's not like there's never been, uh, you can say, opportunities to just for one voice to say let's all get together and figure it out. Sometimes it takes, prime example, let's say just an African culture. If I have, or if there's an issue within the family, it always has to be that one influential family member that calls everyone together. And where we stand today, that one influential person that's related to Africa, that everyone will listen to, respect, and take, despite a decision, or even in in uh, you can say, uh, or even consider to listen to, is President Obama. He's that one family member for Africans that he can make that call, and everyone say, you know what? Okay, let's go listen to see what he got to say. But if it was a local president calling it, it would have been a lot more difficult because of the fact that that the president may be attached to something else that may, I'm trying to be careful with my words here, but you you, you understand what I'm saying. It's, it, it's, it's, it's like, and I think it, it, oh, it goes right back to African traditions. It's, it's like, he's not quite the elder, but he's the most influential one out of the family. Like prime example in my family, I have an older brother. And it's just so happened that even though he's my older brother, I'm probably the most influential person in the family. So if there was a meeting to be called, he would call me and say, little bro, I need you to make this happen. And what I'll do, I will make it happen. So I'm sure Obama got a lot of calls, and as he did his research and as he did his visits, he felt like this is something that needed to happen. And I'm glad that he took the stance to bring them all together because... All it takes is for us to get in the same room and communicate, and then doors will open up for better and bigger opportunities. As you can see, it's actually happening now because we've never seen so many African heads of states in the same place communicating in the same room. A lot of times they're communicating through, you know, translators or communicating through a messenger. But now they actually can look each other in the face. And believe it or not, a lot of problems were solved this week just off. Seeing someone and a misunderstanding that might have been related or translated wrong or, the you know, not quite the way it was supposed to, the message didn't receive the way it was supposed to. So it just clears things up. And sometimes when you can clear things up, you can see better. And when you can see better, you can know exactly where you're going. So I think it works out. Yeah. Myron? Yes, sir. okay so first just to make it very clear acon lighting africa is not a foundation it's a for profit business but we're doing we're creating businesses we're we're making money in a way to where it helps and we want to be able to utilize that same money and put it back in the community to empower and um provide jobs for the locals um our goal starting in january was to electrify 1 million homes um we're a little over a quarter past that at this point. Like we've moved, the beginning was a little rough because we had to get the infrastructure together, get the right team, visit the the presidents and get a hold of uh, the people necessary to make things move and get more than anything the permission for my elders to do it (laughs) and feel like we're getting the right support because ultimately when you're making moves like this, you want the proper advice. And they face the challenges every single day of what they're dealing with in their areas. So we didn't wanna be naive to the struggles and we don't wanna be naive to what was happening in the countries we visited. So we we did our due diligence and made sure that we was walking in with open arms and being received in a way to where it would be positive. Um, So that took a little bit of time. So we're literally, I mean, we're hundreds and hundreds of thousands of homes already enlisted and moving forward as we speak we have manpower on the grounds equipment on the grounds being installed and i think we're going to make the the quota before the end of the year absolutely yep. and after that i know you want to know what's going to happen after the million we're going to keep going this is more of a proof of concept to show that it actually can work you know because a lot of the challenges were well we've tried it but it doesn't work we don't know exactly how to do it or where do we start and With us, it was simple, let's just do it. It's, they don't really get that hard. You just do it, (laughs) just do it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah.
4: Because the problem I think that has always been or that they have been accused of is that (coughs) once they get back home, you know, it's very, very tough to get through to them. Uh So did it surprise you that it was so easy?
3: That's actually a very good question. And um, we've, we were praying that the accessibility would be available. Because you're absolutely right. When they're home, it's hard to reach out, um, it's hard to get close. Um, and sometimes they can't be blamed because of so much happening. And like I said, it's always information that's classified that the people aren't public, uh, the people of the public aren't aware of. But ultimately, it's, I think it's, in Africa, just for this particular time being, is more for their protection than it is them trying to be uh, distant. But I think um, this trip even opened their eyes because they didn't even realize how impactful it was to be this close to the people. Um, And they've, I mean, they've learned a lot. I think, um, especially after today, um, after today's uh, event that we just had uh, we had uh, President from Guinea Kanakari, uh, Mr. Alpha Condé, President Alpha Condé, and then we also had the President of Congo also there, um, President Sosa, and they were very instrumental to the challenges they were facing. They were very clear with how they wanted to move forward with the countries, and we as the youth learned so much from them because we didn't realize. That they were always reaching out, because ultimately the the, the the communication between, you know, the elders and the and the younger generation there was a gap there. So it allowed us to actually be able to speak. And what we what we learned today was that we would be so much more help for them, even if the the children of the diaspora was able to be able to utilize the education that they uh, got from here and be able to apply that to training people back home, you know, because. Sometimes when you're in a position where you get the best of both worlds and you're not sharing both the information, we can just be stagnant when it comes to information. We were just, we just, we're moving unknowing. And sometimes when you don't have all the information, you make, you know, not so good decisions. So the conversations that we had today, we learned so much from them and we kind of understood in so many ways why a lot of decisions were made from the standpoint of how they see it. And they were able to also see it from the standpoint of how we saw it. And it was when, when, Pretty much the conclusion was there's there's going to be a give and take. we got to be able to give something to get something and vice versa, and we got to be able to understand that Africa and where it is today, we can't wait for it to be developed in order to come and make a difference. We have to actually be a part of the development, so that way our difference actually uh, is impactful in so many different ways. So we learned a lot from each other. And I think when these leaders go back home to their homelands, I think the – The communication between them and the people is going to be, I think it's going to be a lot less hard for them. I think they'll be able to communicate a little better because this taught them a lot, for sure. I really do believe that. Um, with the Confident Foundation, our initiative there was to build schools um, and remodel hospitals. Uh, one of the biggest challenges, challenges was finding which school to start with first, uh, and we had so many schools that needed to be remodeled because it wasn't that they had a lack of schools; it was just a lack of resources in the schools. You know, sometimes something as base as a leak in a roof can affect a child's learning, and we would go into these areas where the schools didn't have any windows. Basic, barely had a roof. Um, so instead of just rebuilding a whole school all together, we would just grab an existing school and remodel it and give it all the pieces that we felt was missing, like brand-new roofs, you know, new windows, repaint it or cement it, just kind of basically rebuild the whole thing. Um, then, of course, then find some partners to put in the equipments, whether it be computers or books or pencils or whatever the case may be. So that was a lot easier. But then when we try to go into the hospitals, it became a lot more difficult because we didn't realize just how much difficulties we would face dealing with hospitals and medications and, um, keeping the medication, uh, uh you can say usable for, <laughs> like I'm not a doctor. So all I just want to do is help. And it was hard because we were lacking experienced doctors, let alone experienced managers who manage hospitals and majority of them were out of the country, like they were child children of the diaspora. Like they would be uh, practicing maybe in France or practicing in Italy or practicing in the US. But we we had no dedicated professional doctors who were from there, literally there. And that made to the point of even some of the presidents this morning, it's like, it was, it's not that we were short of doctors. They just wasn't working in Africa. So it made it harder for us. and. This was one of the reasons why we wanted to also make sure the communication was there because now they heard it. And now they know that they, okay, they now also have a mission outside of where they are. They have to go back home and properly educate, be professors at some of these universities that they're naturally now pulling up and just be a part of rebuilding. Teach each other, you know, teach one, you know, and, and put ourselves in a position to where now we can pass that knowledge over. Um, but one of our biggest issues was that. We didn't we just didn't have the resources, you know, and to, pull in resources I mean you can only just that you can only pull in the people that have the passion for it you know and so we just limited ourselves to just um, the schools and now we're putting ourselves in a position where eventually we'll be able to now just start from a basic foundation and that basic foundation I felt that would be the most impactful everywhere we're starting with energy and then from there we can just slowly branch off to everything else that we always wanted to do uh, surprises week was how many heads of states actually showed up, <laughs> you know, um, I was really surprised because, you know, of course, naturally you have a lot of doubt when you've been to so many farms. I mean, here, Gabon, Ethiopia, South Africa, like we've been to so many and sometime you have some come, sometime you don't, um, some work with the African Union, some don't, so, It was, I was actually very curious to see how many presidents actually wanted this thing to happen. And the turnout was more than I expected. And I was very happy for it, because it gave me the sign of knowing that, okay, Africa's now really opening their eyes, just knowing that this has to happen now. We can't wait no longer. And it's gonna really affect us in the future if we don't do anything today. So I was proud to know that those presidents took the time out to really um, uh, count themselves to be here.
4: Mm-hmm. What
3: countries were you in? Uh, currently now we're in uh, Mali, we're in uh, Gabon, Kanakari, we're in Senegal, we're in, uh, where else are we at? Yeah. Na- Niger, Burkina Faso, wow. um, Togo, yeah. Benin. Um, we're on our way to um, nine more, we're gonna hit Congo, we're gonna hit Ivory Coast, we're gonna hit Angola, we're gonna hit Kenya. Kenya. Kenya on the next tour which will start in september between wow. the 7th and the 21st so so far 14 countries have been installed wow. and we're just starting in one area and eventually grab the whole country um, but things are very very promising very very promising we're very happy with the, um, the results yeah uh,
1: Mm-hmm. some of the things that they agreed to or some of the things that they at least seem open to um, adopting uh,
3: back in their country? Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Um, our, Because what we wanted to do um, was kind of just change the format of how things are normally done. Normally, you go to the heads of state, you ask them to do something, and they tell you what they're doing. And then we jot it down, and if they don't do it, we hold them accountable. What that does, again, it puts the pressure... On government so what we're trying to do is take the pressure off of government what we're trying to do is let the government know that whatever your initiative is or whatever it is that you are doing we are here to support you doing that but just know that we're doing this here so how does this affect or how does this help what you're doing there to fast track it so basically When you put someone in power, you're putting them in power for their knowledge, their strategic efforts, and your belief in them. You're not really expecting them to go on the ground and do anything. Whereas in Africa, because how we were built, we're more hands-on type people, we're expecting the president to go down and make it. It's not going to work. I guarantee you. So what we have to do, we have to be... The partner, and we have to be their arms. We have to be their legs. We have to be their eyes. We have to be their ears. They're our support system. We're not theirs. So until the people realize that we are who build our country up, it's gonna we're gonna be in a never end. It's gonna be a three sixty constantly going around. So all we could do is allow us to do what we do. They stay oversee it and say, okay, guys, I love what you're doing here, but can we do a little bit over here? And then our job as the young youth, we have to put together the crew and make that work because. If they can qu- properly advise us on which roads to go, then we can t- make it to the end of the rainbow. We just can't do it expecting the government to do it all, especially when we're the people. We can't just be sitting there expecting the government to do it. We, we elected them. You follow what I'm saying? So we just have to know that we are their tools, and if they don't use us, they can't build anything. If they're the tool, they're just one with so much ground to cover And yeah, they have a delegation, they have a crew, but if those crew don't utilize the tools, they can never get anything built. So our main goal today was let them know that we are here and you can utilize us. We need you to utilize us, get information from us, use us physically, use us mentally. How can we benefit your goal to make it what we need to make it to where you stay out of conflict, first of all. And number two, how can we build our country forward and then everyone get motivated to continue empowering whoever's in power? You follow? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You. Yeah. All right. So, um, Africa
4: has, they said, they're about over a billion people right now. In mm-hmm. Africa. Absolutely. And we have more youth than, you know. Absolutely. And it's projected that by twi- uh, 2040, mm-hmm. you know, Africa is going to have the largest segment of young people. Absolutely. So, if you
3: Well, we did advise them, and we told them that the youth is their futures. The youth is what's, no, well, the youth of today will be our leaders tomorrow to tell that youth of today the same thing. Africa right now has been overwhelmed with youth. So how do we empower our youth now to become the leaders of tomorrow? And that becomes the biggest question. So as youth, it's almost like a child running away from home and have to grow up quick. In this case, no one ran away. The problem is we just had to grow up quick. <laughs> you know. So ultimately, how do we properly educate our kids to to taking on a burden or a responsibility such that large? And it's almost like I almost feel like we've been prepared for this already. This is why we live under certain conditions. This is why we're in a position that we haven't advanced so hard and we always have to fight for what, we want or what we need it's only preparing us for something this large some of this magnitude like we're literally prepared for it we just have to mentally put ourselves in the mind of actually doing it so my suggestion to the leaders is to engage the youth more utilize them because if we don't properly train them with the 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 know-how and the knowledge that they need to even advance no matter how much money we dump into a country no matter how many companies you bring in if you don't have uh, no, the, the population to outsource or resource all the possibilities then you can never even maintain what's happening or what's growing into your country so we have to be able to more than anything educate the kids first but they have to implement it because they're there Like, but the kids have, the, the children there have to be engaged, they have to engage in, into the youth a lot more for, than they're doing now for sure yeah
1: well on behalf of the National Press Club I want to thank you again ICON, no, thank you for, for joining us and we're going to have Myron come up for the presentation of yes. the Please, National uh, Press Club mug. Why don't you uh, get oh, between nice. us
0: and this <laughs> <laughs> You know, Akon, this is not only an historic week for the National Press Club. It's an historic year because we are observing 2014 as the international year at the mm-hmm. club. And it's also historic because it was 20 years ago this year in 1994 that Nelson Mandela spoke at the National Press Club as president, shortly after being elected in the first fully-franchised election. Uh, And so it's my honor to carry on a tradition and present to you, as we do, to distinguished guests of honor, the traditional National Press Club mug. (laughs) And Stephen, why don't we do it together? So Noel can perhaps do it. There we go. And I noticed this was your first annual conference. I take it there's gonna be others in the future. Whenever you have them, please come back to the National Press Club. Thank you, man.
3: Thank you. Man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank
0: you guys. Sincerely. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
2: Lucky? In line at the
1: deli, I guess? Aha, <laughs> in my dentist's office.